Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome. Today on the Recruitment Flex, we cover a potentially large problem that no one wants to talk about. Also this week, the AppCast Recruitment Benchmark Report came out and it was full of chocolate, as Shelly would say. We also discussed Amazon raises their maximum base pay. And finally, we're starting to see Canadian companies testing out a four-day work week. So a lot of exciting news. But first of all, let me welcome my co-host, Shelly. How's it going? It's going well, Serge. This week seems to be starting off with a bang. How about you? Very busy week, very busy month, so no one's complaining. But you know, from our last episode, Shelly, I wanted to Uh-oh. bounce this off you because <laughs> okay. we were Go. talking about RecFest, and yes. obviously I shared that I wasn't convinced yet. And you should see the slew of messages that I've received from people across the world saying, you better be at RecFest. And we got a message from RecFest directly saying, hey, here you go, VIP ticket. So I guess I have to revisit if I'm going to go or not. Have you changed your mind? I have not changed my mind. As a matter of fact, I think what we're going to do, because Brooke's graduating grade 12, right? And she'll come with me to London and Chandler, and then they will take a train or hop on another plane because the Red Hot Chili Peppers are on tour and they're performing just outside of Paris on July 9th. Then we'll meet up again Uh, they'll go to the concert. I'll be busy, I'm sure, schmoozing and the post-Wreckfest parties. First (laughs) of all, I don't have any kids with me. I can actually be an adult all by myself with you there too, of course, but not having kids in tow. It's like having a kid if I'm with you because I need to be chaperone everywhere I go. (laughs) Make sure I I behave. I don't get too drunk. (laughs) Exactly. Make sure I'm fed, that I go to bed at the good time. So yeah, I will need you to chaperone and take care of me while your kids are away. So So does that mean you're coming? I still need time. There's a lot. What do you need time for? We got (laughs) VIP passes from the organizers Yeah, and you're still whining. No, I'm not whining. I I have a lot of things to consider. (laughs) It's July, man. Plan it now. I know. July comes up pretty quickly. And Uh uh, if I'm going to be in front of people, I'm going to have to start working out hardcore. So I'm in top physical shape for July, (laughs) right? (laughs) Start taking creatine or something. Yeah, exactly. Be like, who is this Jack? Steroid injections. I think that's a good oh, idea. No. Then yes, then you will need me as your bodyguard to keep the women away from you. It's a challenge. It's a challenge <laughs> wherever I go. It's an For issue. Sure. But so you oh, mentioned yeah. Brooke. Yes, I have one more. Yes, I have one more exciting piece of news. Okay. Brooke yesterday got her official congratulations. You've been accepted to the University of Calgary. So that's pretty exciting. That is very exciting. It's not as exciting as the news I have. My twin girls are starting to use the potty. That's that's pretty big news, right? I know all of our listeners are waiting for me to say, I finally selected a puppy because then it's going to be me halfway through recording a show and yelling at this dog because it's about to pee on the floor. That's next for me, I'm sure. It is. So Shelly, introduce our first topic. Yeah, for sure. It's really quite timely for me anyways, because here I am watching all three of my kids educated, but they're still a few years away from entering the workforce. And so all we seem to talk about is the great resignation. But honestly, the one thing that nobody wants to talk about, which 
well, maybe we have, and maybe we're just too tired of hearing about it is the aging workforce. Like how old are we really getting? And I know you rib me a lot about that. I'm so much older than you and I am. So this is really something that people are afraid to talk about is just how old is our workforce. Mm -hmm. And we know that there's a gap or a delta in terms of population. What did you take away from this article? Other than you always ribbing me about being older than you, but I don't think it's taboo, but is it maybe? So this is an article that we read and we'll share in the show notes, but what this article talks about is our workforce is getting older. And if you look at the median age in the US, we're looking around 38, which is, it's not too bad. It hasn't grown too much, but where the deep concern is in particular sectors, like to give you an, an idea. So the average auto mechanic is 47 years old. A facilities manager is 50. A bus driver is 55. Electrical trade is 47. Now, this goes to a little bit of a generational divide, right? The millennials were really the first generation that you're pretty much forced that you go to university, or at least that's what the message in society was. To be successful, you need to go to university. So they're going to university, coming out with pretty large debt, and then they're expecting to go into work that is is not labor, it's not trades. And that has caused a challenge because what we're seeing is the younger of the baby boomers are getting out of the workforce at this particular time. And those are the tradesmen. Those are the people actually building stuff. Also, the later part of Generation X, similar as the boomers, the younger part, and I'm younger Generation X, I can't build shit. So I'm definitely not part of that piece. But then we look at millennials and this article calls them the least productive generation. And I thought that was interesting because it was written by uh, a millennial and he was pretty clear. We're the problem. We were forced to go to college, all these types of things. And we're really not shown trades or any other elements. But the one thing that hit me is a lot of these people are going to jobs that generations before have never done. And when I say jobs, I use that really loosely. So content creators on Mm -hmm. YouTube, TikTok, all those types of jobs, and they're not doing anything that has really advantaged to society. And it's funny, I was watching a TikTok. There you go. And what they were talking about this TikTok is how different the algorithm is in China. So in China, the algorithm favors like engineering feats or really a creative type of uh, video that's based on math or, or science. As in North America and across the world, the algorithm favors stupid dance moves. So doesn't that tell you a lot of maybe we're being sent in the wrong way as far as where the generational workers, the type of work and where they think they can make money. It's going to be a major challenge because after these people retire, who's going to take over these jobs? No one is ready to take these jobs. There's a massive gap. And he says, basically, I hope Gen Z is the answer because he feels the ship has sailed on millennials. So what's your overall thoughts on that? Uh, I don't think I've got too much more to add other than if you are just going on a hope and a prayer that Jen Zen is going to fill in the gap. 
It's interesting, Serge, I talked to a startup CEO yesterday who's developing an app for young people to decide where you want to work. Because you're right, the millennials specifically went in a complete tidal wave. You have to go to college, you have to go to college. So whether it made a financial sense for you to go or not, it was like everybody had to get a degree. And now what are you going to do? There was no appeal to that generation that trades is an option, construction, somebody's got to drive the bus, somebody has to maintain facilities and buildings. So what this um, startup technology was looking at was how do you ensure that you're talking to those that are say maybe grade 10, 11, 12, or first, second year university to help them make decisions about what it is that they want to do for work. Because we've forgotten to even put that on the table. So I think the problem is more systemic than just simply millennials and let's just blame them. I don't think there's been really good investment in tools in helping young people make decisions about what they should do. Because there is no shame in having a manual job or a, a labor role. There's a lot of people out there that the thought of being chained to a desk is something close to torture. It speaks on behalf of those who are already online or have already dropped a hundred grand on getting a bachelor's degree and came out with a, a 3.0 GPA or worse. I believe that this um, tech startup may be onto something, and that is putting some tools in the hands of those career counselors at first and second year university as well as high school. I think where the the blame lies is actually in the parents. Don't oh. blame the parents. No. <laughs> Why not? So why not every generation, right back to my great grandparents, always blamed their parents. I don't think that's it. Well, the parents have a large influence on if kids are going to attend college, university, where they go. There's a reason that a lot of tradespeople going to school is their parents were in trade. So when I say blaming parents, like kids will look to their parents for advice. And a lot of parents are just forcing the issue. You are going to university no matter what. And what happens if that kid loves to work with his hand, could be a really skilled construction worker. I think we are discouraging yeah. that. And part of the challenge too is okay. those yeah. trades are making more money than you can working in most jobs right now. There's so a Massive advantage for people that are looking for stable work. They can become entrepreneurs. When you have a trade, you're an electrician. Starting your own business is really easy. Yeah, no matter what the trade, starting your own business is never as easy as people think. However, I think the point you've made is a really good one. Sorry, I take that back. Because I believe, like even my generation and your generation, you want your children to have a, a little better life than we did. And so the answer certainly for me was that my kids would have a university degree, bachelor, or master's degree, whatever that is. But that's my kind of baggage, as it were, that I want my kids to have just a little bit more of an advantage than I did. Isn't so that right. the problem, though? You're pointing it out right there. Absolutely. Maybe Absolutely. Chandler would have been a master electrician. And he think that wouldn't be an option because you would never approve. He knew from, I think, probably age three that it wasn't even up for discussion that he would go on to university, period. That's how ingrained it was in my three, that it's just like having just a high school education, 
trades was never part of the discussion. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But that conversation is changing too. The importance of university, a lot of millennials, a lot of generation are starting to see that this whole university model is is a little bit of a scam in some ways. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I wouldn't say scam. I would say it. it's losing touch with the current reality that if you're going to have somebody registered like with the university of Calgary, and then you take all your classes online, you know, the a big part, I think of the attraction is the whole university experience. Yeah. And if you're just working from your bedroom off a laptop, that is not worth a hundred thousand dollars. So that's what is got universities and people now thinking, wait a minute, why am I paying these thousands of dollars if it's all just going to be online? Yes. So I do believe we need to tackle this as a society because we are going to be in a very difficult position in the next 20 years as a lot of the generations of builders, and they use builders to generalize all types of trades, leave the workforce. Who's going to replace them? So we are going to be in a dire situations that we have no one to hire for these projects. It's not like it's going to be hard to recruit. It's going to be impossible to recruit so well there's just nobody there to recruit exactly it's a systematic issue that we need to look at because we're going to come across uh, a really big challenge in the near future but talking about a really big challenge so appcast came out with their benchmark report yesterday and there was tons of great nuggets in there give me your take before i dive in okay So I read all 38 pages and I just love how AppCast boils this down. They have this whole section called Recruitonomics. <laughs> it's just awesome. And so they talked about the dramatic increase in costs of the cost per application and just took the snapshot from January of 2020 up to December 31st of 2021. And they gave for the first time some really good insight into something that I've never heard pointed out by anyone else in terms of why costs are skyrocketing. It's not news to anyone that what happened when the economy shut down, everybody got laid off, boom, unemployment spiked to 25% or some crazy thing. Now that the demand is back, nobody expected it to come back that quickly. And the factor that really caught my eye, and so everyone do download the AppCast Recruitment Marketing Benchmark Report, turn to page 16. There's your answer. Why are the costs so high? There's a 43% increase in the cost per applicant. That's how much it rose. They show a graph here from 2011 until 2020. Online advertising costs continued to drop year over year. And then in 2021, it spiked. Now they're saying inflation is part of the factor. But when you think about the fact that most technology does get cheaper over time, it gets faster and maybe the price stays the same, but the costs have continued to drop. And then those who are ready for this market, oh my God, 
Yeah, so cost per applicant did rise 43% in 2021. Cost per click increased by 54%, which I thought was really interesting. And this is focused on AppCast customers, but we've been hearing this from Indeed, from other clients. There's just a lot costlier to Google and Facebook. Yeah, across the board, we're seeing it. It's more expensive because the supply and demand is off. So the three factors they listed is a massive demand of workers across every industry. So job seekers have a lot more options. They're still concerned about COVID risks. And they had a higher bank balance, which was a lot of savings for a lot of these people. Some got government money. Overall, they had more time to really pick the job that they want and they can be choosier. The other one they mentioned, and you just nailed it, is inflation accelerated across the economy, Mm -hmm. including the online advertising sector. But I looked through the whole report, and as recruiters and talent acquisition leaders, we need to go to our business and we need to be able to justify why we need more money. This report is something that you can pull out and be like, hey, this is reality. For us to be visible on Indeed, we need to pay more. For us to be visible Mm -hmm. on Programmatic, we need to pay more. This is definitely a report that everyone should download, pick and choose what they need to help build the case that they they do have. A couple other things that I noticed and wanted to bounce off you. So we talk a lot about applying through a mobile phone. And to this day in Canada... There's still a massive challenge of most ATS or most companies are not even set up to be able to easily apply Mm -hmm. on a mobile phone. And then the perception of people that would apply on a mobile phone, people think those are only technology people. And Mm -hmm. the fascinating thing is manufacturing. 78% of people are looking to apply through a mobile phone. Hospitality, 76%. Guess what was the lowest sector when it came to applying through a mobile phone. It is shocking. And it's followed closely behind legal. Yes. Well, technology folks usually have like multiple screens and they've got these powerful computers that they're using. So it makes sense, but it is counterintuitive. It did surprise me as well, for sure. Like you would have thought they're on their phones all day. No, they're on a desktop. This proves it out. Well, exactly. 32%. It wasn't counterintuitive to me because exactly to your point, a lot of knowledge workers are sitting in front of a desktop 12 hours a day. So it's so easy for them. But you think about hospitality manufacturing, the device they use the most is their mobile phone. It makes sense that they would apply from a mobile phone compared to technology and legal, which you're sitting at a desk most of the time. I've been telling this to a lot of clients that I work with, and they really have a hard time believing it. I'm glad this justifies exactly what I've been talking about. Mm -hmm. The other thing that was interesting for me is sweet spot for job title lens. So job titles are still a challenge in the industry. Do you know how many times I pull up a job board and you'll see engineer for uh, part-time, 9 to 12, all in the title. The sweet spot they found is three words. Three words is how long your job title should be. Mm -hmm. The shorter, the better, and the closer to what people would actually search. Absolutely. And I loved this section that they had around job ad content. If it's no longer just Serge and Shelly talking about it nonstop, that put some effort into your job ad content. But what they pointed out for anybody wanting to quickly reference, go to page 31 of the report and take a look of the percentage of job ads that included work from home 
or remote by job function and how it directly related to higher apply rates and lower cost per application. There's a direct correlation. And so you get a 12% increase in apply rates and a 13% decrease. There's a business case already made for you if you needed more ammunition about remote work or work from home. And then they break it down by industry. Insurance is leading the pack. You know, when you think about it, why would you need to go into an office? Everything you need to do to be an insurance agent can be done online, right? Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. I think that makes a lot of sense. There's so many great nuggets in here. One is different job functions that are seeing either a higher or lower apply rate year over year. And we know last year was really challenging across the board in in getting the amount of candidates that we're used to in the past. Mm -hmm. And most job functions have seen the application rate go down. And there's a few exceptions, but they're so minimal. Like hospitality went up like 0.33%, which is negligible. But we saw even human resource go down. We saw insurance, healthcare went down. Uh, Gig jobs did go up, which is is not surprising. Food service Mm -hmm. went down. And we know firsthand how hard it is to hire in the food service industry. And that went down almost 3%. People are not applying to those jobs anymore Mm because they have different options. So Food service, I think, is in real danger because is this a trend they're going to be able to reverse as -hmm. far as getting enough applicants? One that a lot of people are surprised. A lot of clients want to post their jobs on Friday. Ah, Oh, I'm glad you brought this one up. Yeah, this is awesome. Go on, talk about this one. This is really good information. Audience, turn up the volume. You should never post your job on a Friday afternoon because if you're going on a job board, you're going to be on top. But you're going on top on Saturday and Sunday, which are by far the lowest traffic on any job site, Mm -hmm. anyone looking for a job, which is counterintuitive to what a lot of people think. And the busiest days is Monday and Tuesday. And I've seen the Indeed data for this for years. So I'm not surprised Mm -hmm. to see AppCast data be very similar. So you should be posting your jobs, especially if you're posting to a job board. You should always be posting first thing Monday morning to get the maximum visibility on organic, if possible, or, or even if you're sponsoring. So Monday, Tuesday best days and then it slowly goes down wednesday thursday friday then saturday drop like an anchor and sunday is not that much better than it just comes back up on monday and the one last thing too that we wanted to share is the day of the month this (sighs) is super interesting as well if you're posting past the 25th to the end of the month you will actually get an increase yeah. And same thing at the beginning of the month. You know why that happens, the last right? third. Because a lot of pay-for-performance job boards, uh, they're spending the budget at the start of the month. So spreading it out, spreading your budget, definitely key. There's mm-hmm. one last thing. Oh, you've got to have the last point, don't yeah, you? I have to have the last <laughs> point here. <laughs> so the impact of including benefits yeah. in job ads. Oh, that, so yes, yes, yes. They found the sweet spot was three benefits. And the benefit that actually increased the apply rate the most dramatically and increased it by 37% was pet insurance. I know that you talked about this, or certainly we have talked about this. And I know you're a huge advocate for if you have benefits, talk about it. 
put it right in the job ad and pet insurance. Look at that. You were absolutely spot on, but I had well, no idea that you would get 37% increase in employment. Yeah, that's, that's pretty wow. uh, staggering because the demographics that they're having a hard time to recruit is that before they have children, everyone starts with a dog or a cat. <laughs> I'm not saying always, I'm, I'm well, generalizing. No, it's, it's good preparation for potty training. It's good preparation, <laughs> exactly. So it, it's not surprising because a lot of people, their main concern in life is their pet. It's not one that will cost companies a lot. And if you're trying to hire that demographic, look at pet insurance. It could be a really unique benefit that you can highlight in your job ads, even though it might not fit everyone, but you might be able to attract some good people. And this is where we talk, let's do something different. I think that's mm -hmm. an interesting one. The next topic I want to jump to, so Amazon raised their base salary cap to 350000 It used to be 160000 This is focused on corporate and tech workers intended to bring Amazon in line with the competitors like Google, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft. And they must be having some retention issues, which is, is driving this across the board because the war for tech talent and what Amazon is trying to do is you got to play with everyone in the market. So I'm not surprised to see the maximum base salary cap to 350000 which might seem a lot to a lot of us. But knowing how competitive some of these roles and how unique the skill sets that are needed, you got to play the game, right? So also in this same announcement, very sure to mention that it will affect every employee differently. But I think what surprised me most is that it was going up from 160. If that was the top of the range for their base salaries, they were way out of market. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That for, tech, was the, for tech workers. And that's the thing that really surprised me, how hmm. low it was. And I'm wondering, what were their total comp? What were the other incentives to be able to attract these people when you're competing with Google, Facebook, Apple, and Microsoft? But it is going to affect everyone because I think they're doing pay raises across the board is what I surmise from well, the announcement. Yeah, and I think Amazon's reputation is that they pay shit. It always has been, right? Whether it's your delivery person or your warehouse worker, Amazon's reputation has never been to pay top of market. So I guess it makes sense that they had such a low cap to begin with on their tech workers. And until it starts actually hitting them in the pocketbook, they weren't going to do anything. Well, they're seeing higher attrition across the board and with all their position, warehouse included, these folks have different options that they didn't have before. The work environment for a lot of these warehouse workers is just like you got to make adjustments because you can't keep treating employees like this because they do have options. Mm. All the big, bad corporate companies are adjusting to the market because they have no choice to compete for talents. They can't just survive on their brand. People's perception of work is completely different. And talking about perception of work, Shelly, I've been reading the last little while about a lot of companies, especially in Europe, testing out the four-day work week, mm -hmm. seeing how it can work. And then I saw a Canadian company do it. So I'll give you a little bit of the background. A Springwater Township company, which is based in Barrie, Ontario, close to Toronto, mm -hmm. made the move to a four-day work week with the hopes of improving staff morale, mental health, and productivity. They're a non-profit social enterprise construction company. So in their blood, they have some innovation in them and they're thinking, can this work? 
Can this be a differentiator for us to be able to attract people, to keep people happy, to retain? Do you think this is just an experiment or does this have legs? When I first read this article, I thought, this is nothing new. This is really just a different way to spin it because the 10 hours a day, what did they really do? I don't know why they're patting themselves on the back because it's now four tens rather than five eights. You know what I mean? So yes, you get the Friday off, but you've just worked four 10 hour days in a row. This is a manufacturing facility. And when you've got workers on the shop floor, exhaustion does tend to set in somewhere around six hours, unless you're giving them breaks every two hours for nutrition, because this is manual labor. When I read it, I was just like, oh, fucking pat yourself on the back. Hey, all you've done is packed 10 hours into one day. I think the real news story here would be if they found a way to maintain their productivity six hours a day and you get Fridays off, right? They said it's about productivity, but I don't know. I I, I just think this is poorly researched journalism and I kind of went, oh, fuck, like seriously, How is that productive? 10 hours? These are manual labors. No, I I don't think it's news. I I think it's clickbait. No, what I wanted to talk about is the four-day work week. And you're right. Very good point. That is not the overall goal of what we're seeing in Europe. We are seeing that 32-hour work week. I think we will get there, okay? And here is my theory on it. We're seeing a lot of companies struggling for talent. So we're going to see automation come and play into roles that have never been automated and they can't find workers. So everything from the fast food service workers to more automation and manufacturing, we are going to see that and it's going to accelerate. So the need for efficiencies with people, a lot of people will be able to accomplish in a 32 hour work week what they did before. And they're still going to be bringing the same value to their employers in 32 hours. I think it's actually going to become the norm. I'm not against this company doing it. And very good point as far as 10 hours can be tiring, but also it's an option. I rather work four tens than work five eights. I rather have that full day off that I don't need to worry about work. There's still benefit to what this Canadian company is doing. And obviously this is a small one and I agree part of the article is clickbait, but it goes to the point, are are we starting to test this out? We're still working off principles from the early 1900s True. or even the late 1800s. I don't know if it makes sense. Like yeah, why are so, we working Monday to Friday? Yeah. I love the fact that you point to, we just keep doing the same old thing. Because when you look at organizations that do have a 32-hour work week, are they less productive? Or if I can manage by objectives and I can get something done in six hours where maybe somebody else would take 16 hours, why should I be penalized? Yeah, You gave me the work to do. It's my fucking problem if it takes me 16 hours. A lot of organizations do not measure outcomes. They measure how long do you sit at your desk? And that is by far the easiest way to manage. Hey, you were at desk for eight hours, but we all know that's not accomplishing anything. But let me give you the flip side to this. All right. Okay. And I, I heard this on a podcast and I don't know which podcast. So if you're listening, uh, I didn't steal it from you or maybe I did. I it's think you the, did. 
is the flip side of it is, and I'm bringing China up again as oh, an example yes. is. I know what you're referring to. Workers, I forget what the standard is. I think it's 12 hours, six days six a week, week uh, type of thing. So are we dramatically falling uh, behind to a country like China that can produce a lot more because they have their workers working that much? But it all goes to how are we measuring outcomes? How are we measuring how efficient we are? But no one wants to work that. And there's no way I want to work 12 hours a day for six days out of the week. That's just not our culture. That's not the standard. Yeah. Either. So the word communism comes to mind. <laughs> Fair enough. I also heard that argument. And I would say, I'm going to move to France. <laughs> They've got it right. They work until noon. They take a few hours off. They come back and work a few more hours. And they take their time off seriously. Shelly. Yes, Serge. A lot of interesting topics. So it was so fun. Oh my God. The AppCast stuff, I could have talked for hours. I know we we try and limit our podcast too, but honestly, that was just so great. So if you don't read it, that's okay. We gave you all the key things that you can go back to the business and you can reference Shelly. Awesome. That was fun. Thank you, Serge. Thank you everyone for listening. Bye now. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.